Welcome to the Sports Talk Garage podcast, where we discuss and debate the latest news and hot takes from the court in the ball fields to the locker room and front office. We are four lifelong friends who grew up with a love of professional and collegiate sports. Today, we are bankers, investors, professors, and entrepreneurs, but our love of sports has never changed. Come listen for the fun, gain some insight, and probably a few laughs as we give you our perspective on those oversized contracts, game-winning scores, and franchise players. This is the Sports Talk Garage. Right, welcome to another episode of the Sports Talk Garage podcast. We are in Season 2, Episode 42. Happy to be back with you this week. Another week as live sports are slowly starting to return. We've got some racing, some golf, supposedly basketball is coming back next month. Baseball, not so certain there. But it's nice to see some sports back on TV. In the meantime, though, we've had a wonderful time in our one-on-one series interviewing different people in the sports world. Uh, tonight is no different. We've got Mantle with me as usual. John taking a week off. But we are happy to have on with us uh, Michael Pierce, Assistant Director of Sports Information at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University down in Daytona Beach. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, David. Pleasure to be here. And uh, it's, it's uh, an honor to be invited to be a part of this. Wonderful. Well, let's give our listeners just a little background. Uh, you've been there for right about 10 years. Uh, started back in 2010, uh, previously down at Florida Gulf Coast University, or better known as Dunk City from back in the ECA <laughs> tournament. Yes. And actually credited with creating the first social media presence for FGCU Athletics, which is pretty cool. So happy to have you on talk about a little about know what your job is and a sports information director so we're going to go ahead and drop the green flag and get things going so before we really get into kind of the meat of this thing can you kind of describe for our listeners you know what an SID or sports information director really does sure um so sports information directors it's a it's a weird title uh it makes it hard to explain to people and hard for people to really know what it is that we do a lot of universities have kind of transitioned to calling themselves uh, like media relations or, or something along those lines. Uh, Cause primarily the, the two things that we are responsible for are the statistics for all of the sports and the, the maintenance of the website uh, as those relate to one another. And then secondly is communicating the, the results of the games, but also just the overall story of the athletic department to the local media through our website, through sending stories to newspapers and TV stations, and just trying to get the message out there about what our school is doing athletically and also what our student athletes are doing off the field, whether it be academics or community service or things like that. So, the biggest things that we do are to to be at every game pretty much to keep the stats and to write a recap of the game. Um, and then we disseminate those recaps to the media, but we also try to have a good working relationship with the media to to keep the the lines of communication open for whenever there are interesting stories that come up, such as recently we had three of our baseball players uh, back in the fall happened to be playing golf on one of the golf courses in the Daytona beach area. And they saw a guy on a riding lawnmower that flipped over, uh, excuse me, flipped over into a Creek and the mower landed on top of him and they rushed over and lifted the mower off of him. And they, I mean, literally they saved his life. 
Um, So not surprisingly, that story gained a whole lot of traction with the local media because, I mean, how often do you hear that? So, so yeah, so we do, we do all sorts of different things. Um, But mostly it's, it's dealing with the media and the stories of our athletes. Yeah. It really gives the, I guess the fans who are not in attendance at games, the ability to kind of relive what happened. And as they read through that kind of imagine, you know, on a play-by-play almost um, what really went on for that game. So it's really cool to be able to go back and especially go back in time and see, well, what happened at this game, you know, three months ago and Mm -hmm. just kind of remember that. So that's neat. So not to go too far off topic here, but is there, I guess, has it been a lot easier since it's more digital presence now with media versus having to, you know, get on the phone and call somebody up and, you know, kind of give them a quick story so they can start writing everything down? Or is it kind of similar to what you've, started with i well i was lucky i would say that the the digital uh tools that we have now make everything in my opinion a thousand times easier um i started in at fgcu in 2007 and by that point in time you know the internet and and email and everything was was very well established everything was easy to communicate um but I know from speaking to people, you know, like my boss has been at Embry Riddle. She started in the late nineties. And so I have a general idea of how it used to be and knowing all the things that they used to have to do. Like I, I can, one, one thing that's gone by the wayside that I was a part of when I started FGCU is at the end of every basketball game um, and football, if you had it, but FGCU does not, uh, after the game, not only would you do the normal stuff, posting it to your website and all the other stuff, but you would have to physically call a 800 number to ESPN just to tell them the final score. Um, and that was, at the time, that was how they updated their bottom line score tickers on the ESPN television networks. It was not wow. automatic. It was like literally a person up in bristol that would just answer the phone write down the score and then plug it in and that's how they got their updates so being able to now i don't think anybody does that everything you know i work at a division two school so espn doesn't even know who we are but the (laughs) d1s they they're all every everybody's connected they've all got got networks vpns and everything that allow them to to connect directly to one another so that everything is updated in real time and nobody has to call anybody or, you know, verify anything. It's all automatic. And I, I think that having tools like that just makes our jobs way easier. David, do you remember riding the bus back in high school after a football game? The head coach would call into the Charlotte Observer sure and do. tell him what the score was. Call Brett Honeycutt. <laughs> he was so Charlotte excited Observer. he had a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> I remember those days. Cell phone was a big deal. Okay, so Mike, how did you get into this line of work in the first place? Well, I back in the day when I was growing up, I wanted to be a lawyer. And uh, to be honest with you, I can't really remember why. Um, <laughs> but I just kind of went through life thinking that that's what I wanted to be. And I, as I got older, by the time I got to high school, I had a pretty, pretty voracious appetite for sports of any kind. I went to games all the time with my dad. 
Um, got to high school, went to games with my friends. I was always watching ESPN. All just you know, sports was basically the one hobby that I had. And I got to FGCU, and I it just so happened that I, I went to Florida Gulf Coast University. Didn't really know much about them. It was kind of just a they were they were close. They were cheap. They had everything was brand new. Like I started there in 2000, uh, 2003, 2004, and the school was only like four years old. So all the dorms, I mean, it was like nice apartments compared to everybody else. And so it was a great place to go to school. And it, because it was so new that the athletics was just starting, like they, they had, some of the individual sports and they, they had just started baseball um, and a couple others, but like volleyball didn't start till the next year, my sophomore year, the soccer teams didn't come around till later. So it was, it was kind of like getting in on the ground floor, being a fan from, you know, seeing the inaugural games for some of these teams. It, it was really exciting. Um, And that led to, to me and one of my roommates, we went to everything that they had. We, we were at every volleyball match. We were at every basketball game. We were at everything, you know, because students get in free. So what better way to entertain yourselves than going to the free games right down just away, just a, a short walk from the dorms. So through that, because we were literally there all the time and, and what really ended up happening was my roommate and I started traveling around the state when we, when we would play uh, schools on the other side of the state. So we drove over, three times in one week to from Fort Myers over to, to Boca and to Miami and then up to St. Augustine, which is like a six hour drive just to see the volleyball team. And we were like, other than a couple parents, we were the only fans for FGCU that traveled. Um, and so the, the girls and the coaches took notice of us. And after one of the games, the girls came over to us. We literally didn't know any of them. They just came over to us and said, thank you so much for coming and gave us hugs. And the coaches came over and shook our hands and asked who we were. And so that was how I got to know the coaching staff, which then ended up when I needed to have an internship, I asked them if I could work with them and they said, sure. So that was my foot in the door, if you will. Um, And then as I graduated, I, I basically, I went back to the coaches and said, Hey, I I would really like to work either with you guys or in some way with the athletic department. What, what can I do? Um, And they put me in touch with, with the, one of the associate athletic directors who said, we, we have a graduate assistant program where you can be a GA. We'll pay for your school. um, And you'll be an intern in one of five departments. And, they didn't tell me which one I would be in. Me and my roommate both <laughs> did. We both did this. And wow. we both signed up for it and said, sure. We found out, I think it was the first week of August. So basically like two weeks before games started when they said, you guys are going to work in sports information. We, it could have been sports marketing. It could have been sports medicine, like athletic training, which I probably would have hated. Um, you know, and I didn't like, I literally, I, I'm not even kidding. They told me that I was going to work in sports information and I said, cool. And then I got on Google and I typed in, what, <laughs> what is sports, sports information? information? <laughs> Cause like, if you, 
if you don't know somebody who's in that profession or you you aren't i don't know scrolling through the athletic directories you would never hear that term because we're not we're not well known and so i had no idea really what i was getting into and then i started and it was it was pretty fun and kept going with it and stuck around for three years there and then found this job as a full-time SID and I've been here for a decade now. Well, that's really cool. Wow. Just basically getting your foot in the door and then obviously led to a wonderful opportunity, which you love, but that's really funny. Just two weeks before. Okay, here you go. This is your, this is your department yeah. and ended up making a career out of it, which is really neat. And yeah. So let's fast forward to current times, 10 years later, I guess maybe 13 years <laughs> later. So at, you know, when you're at a game as a spectator, you know, you get to go in, kind of hang out, sit there and watch the game. But once the final clock is at zero and spectators leave, in your role, though, you have a very different game day experience. What does that actually look like, you know, once that final out or once the game clock hits zero? What do you do then? Well, uh, once the game ends, for for us – the, the first thing that we do now because of the world that we live in and the priorities that we have, the first thing you got to do is post something to Twitter. Um, it's, you gotta, you gotta get, because they're, I mean, you know, big sports fans and the parents and whatnot, they're going to either be at the game or they're going to be watching the live stream or the live stats. But a lot of your fans, they're, they just check social media and they, they, they're not paying super close attention. So you got to do something to remind them that you just played and hopefully that you just won. <laughs> so hopefully when we, when we win, we create a graphic. We usually, we have a, a, a few different score graphic templates that include a photo, usually of a player, um, sometimes of the team or whatever it happens to be, but you put up, make this graphic and you put that out there and you, we really try to do that within like seconds of the game ending. Um, you know, you got to print the box scores for the coaches. That's, that's imperative that you get that done right away because they like the fans want to get out of there. They want to go back to the locker room and then either get on the bus and go home or get in their car and go home. Um, you know, they, they're gone well before we are usually. Um, and so once you get, that stuff done then there's the the real sid side of things where we need to update the website to post the the score first but then also the box score with the stats um thankfully that's gotten a lot easier now we transitioned from uh, when i first started it was all html where you had to generate these the pages and then upload them individually now everything is xml it's just one file the game ends, you upload it. it. I mean, I typically for volleyball, I have that done within like a minute of the game ending and the box scores up and the, the season stats are updated. Everything's good to go. Um, and so now that that's gotten a lot easier, it actually makes things much quicker because um, that's that's really the, the main thing. And then after that, you go and you write the story. Um, and for us, we try... We try to get it done, get the, the recap written and posted within 30 minutes to 45 minutes. Um, yeah, because we feel, I mean, typically most of our games are starting around 7 o'clock. That's just kind of our, our normal 
start time for a, a weeknight game. Um, and so they're typically ending then around nine o'clock, give or take. And so you don't want it to be too late. In, in the olden days, we always had to worry about the the deadlines for the newspapers, trying to get it to them so that they can have it printed the next day. Um, nowadays, they newspapers, you know, it's a it's a weird business being in newspapers right now because nobody reads newspapers anymore, at least not the physical paper. So in the 10 years that I've been here, they keep changing their deadline. And right now I think their deadline is like eight 30. Oh, wow. So we don't, we don't have a shot to get in the, the physical paper, but at the end of the day, that's not really that big of a priority. So we just get it done as soon as we can to put it on our site. And then we send it to the media and they put it on their, at least their website. So even if it's not in the paper the next day, it's at least on the Daytona beach news journal site or the Orlando Sentinel or whoever, whoever we send it to. Um, and so once, once that's done, then we go home and we are, we are done for the day. I got to say, I don't know the last time I actually picked up a physical newspaper. I definitely read a couple each day online, but yeah, I don't know the last time I touched a real newspaper and held it in my hand. So times have definitely changed in the last 10, 15 years. Yes. Okay. So just, I guess I'm just thinking out loud here, Mike. So, especially right now, it sounds like you've had some experience talking, uh, whether it was on live TV or maybe a podcast. Would that be fair to say? I've I've dabbled in a number of different things. Yes, um, I. One of the things, actually, back at FGCU when I first started uh, as a graduate assistant in sports information. Uh, when we had our first home volleyball match, I found out that evening, uh, about two hours before the match, that I was going to do play-by-play for the oh. broadcast online. Um, <laughs> wow. I, and I, I thought he was kidding because my boss was a jokester. Um, turned out he wasn't. And so I just... It was bad. I mean, it was really bad. But... Over time, I got better at it, and I, I ended up broadcasting volleyball, baseball, softball. Never really did basketball because we had actual, like, real broadcasters from the radio to come in to do that because basketball, you know. Big, pretty big deal. It's Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you're at a school that doesn't have football, it's basketball and then everybody else. So I got the everybody else for a few <laughs> years. Um I haven't done a lot of it in my time at Embry-Riddle, um, mainly because I, the sports that I work, I have to do stats by myself, and it's just too much to try to talk and do that. Um, I have gotten a chance to, to do some like baseball games with Ryan Mosier, my coworker. Um, he likes to, to have somebody to talk to during baseball because baseball gets a little boring sometimes. No <laughs> offense to the baseball fans, but let's be honest. <laughs> Yes, it it's does. a it's a game where there's a lot of downtime, and if you're doing it by yourself, you run out of things to talk about. So we've done that a little bit, um, but lately, you know, we've been trying to catch up with the times and and be able to reach more more of our fans. And so we've recently, like within the last three months, we've started doing a podcast um, that we have titled the nest because we are the Ember Riddle Eagles. 
Um, Catchy. And yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember who came up with that. It took like two weeks of emails and debates to try to come up with something that was, you know, catchy, but not too corny mm-hmm. and la da da da. But that's the best we could come up with. So, um, and it's, it's actually funny that it didn't start as something that we planned on doing. It started with one of the communications classes on campus. There's a new, this year they started a new sports communications class and the professor thought that a good assignment for the students would be to create their own podcasts. And so each of the students, they would pair up and they were, they would be given free reign to really come up with any sort of topic they wanted to, as long as it was at least somewhat related to sports, whether it be professional sports or embryo sports or whatever. And so they started recording these and he, you know, called up my boss and said, do you want us to send these to you guys? And we were like, sure, like free content. We're not going to say no to that. So they started doing those in mid to late February. And so we got a few of them and then the world shut down. So we didn't continue getting them (laughs) from them. We, we hadn't done anything with them yet because we were still busy with normal life at the time. And then once everything stopped, we we were tasked with trying to find something to do, trying to find some content to push out to our fans without having games to talk about. And so we started doing a few of those podcasts, just posting the ones that they had made. Um, but then we figured, why not kind of take it over and, and make it our own? And so we've we've had a few different topics that we wanted to cover that we felt would work better in a podcast as opposed to a story. So Ryan has interviewed some of our athletes and coaches. I've interviewed uh, our new, we just hired a volleyball coach like a month before the pandemic. And so like none of us have physically met him yet. Um, (laughs) So it was, this was a chance for me to actually introduce myself to him and find out a little bit about his past. So we've, we've started doing that. And now, I mean, you guys know podcasting is kind of fun. So yeah, Ryan and I decided, Definitely. I mean, let's keep doing it. So, so yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna try to make this thing work and, and make it a, a weekly thing similar to, to what you guys do. We'll, we'll be more focused on Ember Riddle stuff, but I'm sure Ryan and I spend hours every day in the office talking about professional sports, college sports, every kind of sports. So we'll, we'll end up covering everything. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a great way, especially for a college or university, to be able to connect with their fans and engage them. But really for the fans to get to know the staff and student athletes on a more personal level and learn about their lives and what they do, maybe away from the game. Yeah, So absolutely. I certainly would like that and want to know about the people that I root for and what they're like, you know, just in person. I mean, just another person who happens to play a sport that you enjoy watching. Yeah. So, well, before we head to break, uh, so ERAU is in the Sunshine State Conference, became a full member in 2017. It's one of, I believe, 11 private universities in Florida, but it's also the northernmost university. It's right by the airport, uh, Daytona National Speedway, short drive to the beach. For a school that's main focus is aeronautics, how does that really impact recruiting for athletes? Um, well, I think it's, that's a, that's a, it's a good question. Um, I think 
in terms of recruiting our if you're comparing us to the rest of our conference our location it's not it's not ideal um you know we're like you mentioned we are the furthest north um we're we're kind of us and florida tech are kind of isolated from everybody else there's a there's like a cluster of schools over in the tampa area and there's a cluster down in the the south florida between miami and and west palm beach um and i mean everybody in our in our conference except florida southern and rollins they're all within 10 15 minutes of the beach i mean that's it's it's a selling point for a lot of these schools like eckerd i mean mm-hmm. eckerd's campus literally is on the beach um right by the sunshine skyway bridge over in st pete that's so nice. what we have to offer that pretty much nobody else in our conference has and frankly what very few other schools have is the aeronautics and aviation side of things. Um, And so what we, it's kind of a, it's a blessing and a curse (laughs) because if you, if you're a student in high school and you're interested in playing sports and you know, you want to be a pilot or you want to be an air traffic controller or whatever, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be interested in our school and it's going to be a great fit both academically and will give you a chance to play your sport. Um, the downside is, I mean, most people probably don't have an interest in aviation and they look at our school and they think that's all that we have. And so they, they figure they don't have any majors that they can choose from that would work out for them in their careers. Um, and so I think we tend to probably lose out on more recruits because the other schools in our conference, everybody's good. Everybody's got good facilities. I mean, it's really, it's hard to find something bad about most of these schools. I mean, the, the, the conference as a whole has 111 division two national championships. I mean, they're, it, it's ridiculous. They, the, this year obviously was cut short, but last year we won seven different national championships and everybody wins at something. Um, we haven't yet cause we're new and Palm beach Atlantic is in the same boat as us, but we're not bad either. And so all these schools have great athletics, have great location. And if you're looking at compared to the rest of the country, I mean, being in Florida, the weather's great, you're near the beach. Um, and so I think for our recruiting, it, it's worked out well a few times. Like we got a, a couple of years ago, we got a men's tennis player who was, like the number two singles player at Wisconsin, it decided he really wanted to become a pilot. And so he transferred here and he was unbeatable at division two tennis. Um, But, but I know there's been plenty of other times where we've lost out on kids or, or kids just say, you know, yeah, you've got a nice gym and you're in Daytona beach. That's really cool, but I don't want to be a pilot. So I'm going to pass. Okay. So, I love what you've got going on here. And, uh, you know, since you don't have football and I'm out of eligibility for football, we're all good there. So just <laughs> tell me what other sport do you have that I can sign up for? Cause sitting on the beach while, you know, having athletics, I think I can get back in shape for this, David. You, you think I can, you know, I, I'm pretty sure. I think I could join you with that too. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds enjoyable. So yeah, if you, if yeah, you can pick up a couple sports where you just, you need somebody to come, 
sit on the end of the bench for a while. I, I'm good with it. Just let me know. Hey, you, I, I will, I will let you know. We might, you know, we've got, we've got an interesting situation going on with, with the, the COVID-19 and, and everything that, you know, there might be, there might be some opportunities where, where some kids get, get a chance to come down and play who maybe wouldn't have otherwise, you know, just as a, as a means to, to help enrollment um, to help with, with that side of things. I think a lot of schools uh, we've been hearing about a lot of schools talking about adding JV teams or adding Mm -hmm. just having bigger rosters. Um, So, I mean, you, you might have a chance. I'm in. (laughs) Just have your people call my people. We'll work out a deal. (laughs) <laughs> all right all right well while we try to get matt back into college athletics we're going to go ahead throw the old flag uh with some time for our sponsors and be back with you momentarily hey welcome back everybody so uh thanks again to our sponsors we appreciate them um we are back with our special guest mike pierce uh and he's been awesome about kind of conversing with us about some different things going on where he's currently at uh, Emory Riddle as the director for sports information. So, uh, Mike, coming back in, you know, obviously this year is going to be a tough one, right? We're, we're not really sure what's going to happen. Country's still under, you know, releasing opening COVID. But as we start moving back, we've already started seeing some pro sports do some weird stuff like either nobody in the stands or putting, you know, fake heads in the stands and pumping <laughs> crowd noise in. Um, do you have anything that you can kind of tell us, maybe anything you perceive, whether it's, you know, for fun or ser- in all seriousness about what you think is going to kind of happen this fall with any sports coming in? You know, I, that's, that's a question that I think a lot of people would love to have the answer to. I, there's so many ideas, you know, I'm sure you guys have, have heard and, and seen all the different ideas that different people have about whether it's better to play without fans or whether to play with just like for college to have just the family or a couple friends or whatever, you know, limit it to a really small number of people. And then there's certainly other people that say, just go back to normal and have, have the stand packed. Um, I mean, I, it's this, it's such a moving target. Um, I think, and I I hope that we have a relatively normal season, um, collegiate wise. I have no idea what the chances of that are. Um, you know, obviously college football, division one college football is a huge, money-making machine for a lot of businesses and a lot of people and they will do whatever they can to make sure that we have college football games um but i don't know how realistic it is to have things be totally normal um i know from the conversations that i've had with coaches and staff where where i'm at you know we at the division two level everybody's kind of on board with playing out the season relatively normal. Um, The relatively being we're going to cut back on the number of games for sure. Um, They're cutting back on how many you have to play to qualify for postseason, And they're cutting back on the minimum you have to play just to 
to consider yourself a part of a conference or a part of the NCAA or whatever. Um, so I know I'm the volleyball contact uh, for Embry-Riddle, and that's my fall sport. So I know that schedule has changed a few times. I got the schedule back in January when everything was normal, and then I've gotten a revised version and then another revised version. Um, and everybody knows that it's not a guarantee. I had a meeting earlier today, a, a Skype meeting with my two other two SIDs. And one of the things we talked about was when to put up the schedules. And if we do, normally we do like a press release that says, Hey, here's our schedule, give some highlights and whatnot. And Ryan said, like, should we just put a, a asterisk by it and say, this is totally possibly not going to happen. Um, because I mean, we don't know, like mm -hmm. we, we really, we really don't know. Um, I mean, it, it seems at least the way the last few weeks have gone that we're trending towards the idea of playing just less games and we have no idea about fans. I, I, that topic hasn't really been brought up, um, at our level, but I mean, I would be shocked if things were totally normal for for the fall season. Um, by the time we get to basketball season, you know, it's it's anybody's guess if if there's a second wave or if you know things spike in different places. I don't know. I I think there's a there's a decent chance that things look different. Um, it's just a matter of are we going to actually play the full season. Um, and are we going to play them when they're supposed to? You know, there's been talk about moving some of the fall sports to the spring. And as an SID, that would be terrible. Because um, we would not be able to cover everything if you if you move soccer and volleyball into the spring when you're also playing baseball and softball and golf and tennis and track and everything else. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious. So especially since volleyball is your sport, I'm assuming you have a relationship with the coaching, coaching staff, uh, some of the players as you talk to them on and off. You know, something that's kind of hit my brain lately, have any of the players, as you're aware, I mean, we all, you know, in the offseason, we're all doing our workouts, usually with the team, but during the summer, we're all kind of in separate places. Um, have they had any issue, like, being able to find facilities to work out in or be able to get their kind of sports-specific stuff? Um I mean, I, I've, my sister-in-law played setter in college. So, you know, I'm just imagining her sitting in the corner, setting a ball for like three hours on end <laughs> yeah. out of, you know, boredom at this point. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah. I, I haven't heard anything. I haven't spoken to a lot of them um, for, for most of the, this pandemic, uh, this quarantine period. Um, I haven't heard about anybody doing anything individually. I'm sure they're, they're all trying to, to whatever extent they can. Uh, I'm, I'm on a lot of emails about what we're allowed to do with our facilities. Um, and that's been a process of getting those reopened just for like one-on-one -on -one workouts. There's, there's been a lot of rules that have been changed that the NCA has, has mandated for health and safety reasons where, you can't have like practice. You can, you can have a player work out with a coach, but they, they're trying to limit the number of people that can be there. Um, but it, it took a while to get our university 
to allow us just to do that. And I, if I remember correctly, we've, we've been able to do that now for maybe a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whatever players happen to be around can do that. But I mean, most of our athletes aren't local, so sure. it doesn't really help at this point. It would have helped in March, you know, when, when they were all just stuck in their dorms for a while, but, <laughs> but now, I mean, I'm guessing, and it's just, it's just guessing, but I, I would say that they are doing whatever they can at like their high school gyms, um, just to more or less to try and stay in shape. It's, it's really hard, you know, like, like you said, for, for a setter, I mean, you, you can stand there and set a ball into a something, you know, set it against the wall or set it again, <laughs> whatever, but it's really hard to, to do a whole lot else. And it's hard. I mean, what, if you're an outside hitter, what do you do? If you can't go with somebody else or you don't have other people to help you, it's tough. And I I think it's going to be tough for a lot of athletes to get back into the routine and into, I'm sure they'll they'll be able to stay in shape, but it's going to be hard to get back all that muscle memory and, and just back to normal. Um, just from missing out on, on, the normal activities that they're used to. Like uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, I remember reading, he didn't have a basketball hoop at his home. And so I don't know. I'm sure somebody sent him something, I would hope. (laughs) But it was like three, four weeks into the NBA being shut down that he hadn't shot a ball Mm -hmm. at all. And so, you know, stuff like that, you just, it, it, it's got to mess with you both physically and mentally to not get that practice in. Um, and so I, I'm sure when we come back in the fall, if, if we come back to somewhat normal, it's going to be a longer process just to get everybody back to, to where they were. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a difference between being in shape and also being in game shape and game ready and just those yes. quick movements and muscle memory of that routine that you're in from practice. And all of a sudden it's gone. I guess the, at least on the competitive side, at least all schools are in the same position where facilities are limited. Local gyms are probably still shut down. So lots of jogging outside, I assume is probably simple. And going back quickly to fans coming to stands, even if the NCAA or state local authorities say, you know, an arena can be 50% capacity as long Mm -hmm. as people are six feet away from each other, whatever the number might be. Well, people still feel comfortable being in that facility. So there's two parts to it. Do people want to come back this early or do they want to wait it out? See, maybe I'll wait two months and see how things are and then go back. So still so many variables and unknowns that are going to play on the next couple months to see what fall sports look like. So, well, as we transition a little bit away from fall and just more to the career side for the younger listeners out there, whether they're high school, college age, it's kind of looking who are interested in this field, what advice would you offer for somebody who is wanting to pursue this type of career? Oh, well, in, in broad strokes, um, if, if you've got somebody, a young person who is interested in working in sports in general, if maybe they haven't decided they want to be an SID, but they just want to work in sports. Um, the best thing that I did is go to games just physically. And I know we just talked about how do people want to go to games (laughs) now? Um, But 
in the future, when there are sports being played and there are games to attend, go to those games. Um, I went to high school games. I went to college games. I went to professional games. And just by being there, and I guess you could add to that, pay attention. Don't just go to the game and, and just hang out. If you go and you, you just observe how it all works. Um, you know, I didn't really realize it at the time, but by going to so many Tampa Bay lightning games or Tampa Bay Rays games, like I did, I picked up a lot of just how the, the business side of it works. I, I would pay attention to, to how the PA announcer would do his job or how the scoreboard operator would do his job or not do his job when he (laughs) fell behind or, you know, just how all these different things worked um, to kind of just get a better understanding of what working in sports is like, you know, what's it like to be a a concession worker or whatever. Um, You just kind of, you learn so much just by physically being there, I think. Um, And, Obviously, watching games on TV can be immensely helpful, too. Um, But when you if you get to a point, if you're a young person and you get to a point where you are interested in the the sports information side of it, um, the the two biggest things are stats and writing. Um, If you can do those two things, you will be a good SID. And so getting better at understanding the statistical side of things, you know, to know how to calculate an on-base percentage uh, for baseball or to calculate a hitting percentage, at least to know what all those things are and how you, how you derive those things and what they mean um, will allow you to learn how to take those stats and learn the stat programs so much quicker. Um, Cause I was always one of those stat geeks. Like when I was a kid, I, I knew almost every major league player's batting average all the time. And I, I don't know why, but that was just something I was really keen on remembering. And I knew the lineups for all the teams. Cause that was, I mean, when you're, when you're young, you just, you soak all that in. And so by the time I got to having to do it for a job, it was really easy. Like learning how to key in a baseball game in the stat group program that we use it was, it came naturally to me um, because I had all of that background knowledge and understanding. Um, and then the writing side of it, you know, if you read recaps, just read collegiate recaps, basically baseball, whatever, whatever happens to be that interests you. And you kind of get a feel for how, how to write a good story, you know, how to, how to go back and, and look at a game and tell people, what happened, but in a succinct and clear way, um, learning that skill is very helpful for this profession. Um, cause there are, there are a lot of people who really struggle with that and you, you can, you can end up, you know, like I said, we try to get our, our recaps done in 30 minutes. There's a lot of people, if you don't learn that, that skill of how to, to write, it can become a really time consuming thing because you have to go back and look through the box score and, and try to find what was important and what wasn't. But if you have a better idea of how 
recaps, good recaps are written, then you know just from watching the game, this is this was important, this was important, this was important. Here's how to write it. Here's how to tell the story so that someone who didn't watch the game can understand what did I miss, you know? So I think those are, those are the big things. So if I could maybe boil that down to, I guess, three key takeaways here, it would be be present in the moment and observe what's going on. Know how to clearly communicate your message to your intended audience. And also just know your craft, know the knowledge of what you're trying to do. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's very well, well boiled (laughs) down. That sounds it sounds quite simple. Obviously, it takes a lot of work to become, you know, adept and efficient at those. Yeah, so yeah, it, it, it's some great keys for that. I like it, Mike. Let me ask you something. What's what's the most memorable game? Memorable game that you've been part of as an SID at this point? <sighs> as you turn SID. on the, the juices now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. I mean, there's so many games, and to be perfectly honest, so many of them just kind of together. They're, <laughs> um, but the the first thing that pops into my head when I think of a game that I can still picture so much of vividly um, was my my third year at Embry-Riddle, so back in 2012, in the fall of 2012, um, our volleyball team made it to the NAI National Championship final site, um, which, if you don't know anything about NAI volleyball, they they love all of their sports, really. They love to send, like, a whole bunch of teams <laughs> to one place to play out a tournament. Um, oh, yeah. And so, like... If you make, you know, Division One, if you make it to the College World Series, that's that's an accomplishment because there's only eight teams that make that. If you make it to the Final Four, obviously, even a better accomplishment. To make it to the National Championship final site, there were, I think there's 16 teams. Wow. Um, Maybe even more than that. I don't remember for sure. I'm pretty sure it was, it's, it's either 16 or 24. And you play this, it's like a week-long tournament. Um but it's, you know, it's great for, for the kids, the, the students, you know, it's a lot more people get to be a part of it. Um, it's great for the staff. I loved it. It was a free trip to Sioux City, Iowa, which, I mean, you could find better places to go <laughs> in the late November. Um, but it's still fun. There's it, it a fun trip every, every year because we, we were, I was lucky enough to be at a school where we were quite good volleyball within our conference we didn't lose conference matches like ever back when we were nai so we get to the national championship final site it was the the third year in a row that we had made it there um and it started out you play pool play where you play three matches and it started out really bad we lost the first two of our pool play matches so more than likely you're you're done at that point when you're owing two um but on that thursday the third day of pool play we actually remembered how to play volleyball and we won our match in straight sets and we got lucky that the other team that was zero two beat a team that was one and one so we ended up with with a team that was three and oh and then three teams that were all one and two so we had a three-way tie for second place and so they had to go to a tiebreaker because the top two teams would advance so the tiebreaker involved 
two teams playing each other in just one set to 25. And then we happened to be the best of those teams. So we got the buy into the second tiebreaker. So we end up waiting. We played our match. We had to wait an hour or so for the other tiebreaker to happen. So we're, we're playing this tiebreaker match one set to 25. And if you win, you move on. If you lose, you go home. And we, we jumped out to a lead. They came back. And then we pulled away. And I remember we got to a point where we were ahead 24 to 19. Mm. So we've got, what, like five match points in a row. Just just win any one of them. We lose the next point. We lose the next mm. point. We lose the next point. It gets to 24-23. Lost four straight points. And I'm I'm sitting up in the stands because they, they didn't allow SIDs to be on the bench or on the court, there were limited personnel availability and whatnot. So I'm up in the stands and I'm like, call a timeout. You know, you've, you've lost four straight points. Everybody knows momentum has clearly shifted to the other side. Call a timeout and break the momentum. Coach doesn't call a timeout. So next point, they serve an ace. So it's 24, 24. And I'm like, now you have to call a timeout. Still doesn't. And she she just, the coach just stood there. Like, she was standing there just staring at, in disbelief that the season was ending like this. And she didn't call a timeout. And that, that's why this sticks in my head because it, it frustrated me. And then the next point, we got blocked. So we're down 25-24. She still doesn't call a timeout. And then on the next next play, we, we returned the serve. But then their attack tipped the net and just trickled over for a point and they uh, won the set 26-24 and that ended the season and still didn't call the timeout. Man, so, that's a frustrating way to go down right that, there. That one that one will stick with me forever. Oh, ouch. Alright, so let's uh, take off the SID hat and put on the fan hat for a moment. Look okay. at bucket list items. Is there one or maybe two things, whether it's a game, event, tournament that you would love to attend locally, somewhere in the nation, somewhere in the world? Well, I, if if money's no object and I can I can go to anything that I could, um, probably the top of that list would have to be the Olympics. Hmm. Um, I think I just think the Olympics are such a cool event. Um, I know um, my aunt and uncle, when I was like 12 years old, they went to at least a little bit of the Atlanta Summer Olympics. Um, and I just always thought that would just be such a cool thing to go to and go to you go, just spend a few days going to all the different different events. Um, and I, honestly, I don't care if it's summer or winter. I think they're both great. Um, I, I, I really would love to do that. Um, if I had to limit it down to just one, like one game, um, I mean, it's pretty cliche to say the Super Bowl, so I'm not going to say that. <laughs> um, but, but I would say, I've I've had the I've been blessed to be able to go to World Series games when the Rays were there against the Phillies, and oh. Stanley Cup Final games when the Lightning won it back in 2004. So. NBA finals. Mm. I, I didn't go when the magic were in it in 09 and I really wish I did, 
but tickets were like a thousand bucks. So <laughs> if I if I could go to an NBA Finals game, I think that would probably be the one game that I would choose. Awesome. Yeah. Game seven, if possible. That would be good to go to. So I'm with you. I would love to go to the Olympics. I think it'd be a fun experience outside of obviously you see it on TV or see replays depending what part of the world it's in. Yeah, being at the Olympics, going to see you know one sport here, go see another sport the second day. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Just taking it all in, soaking in the culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it would. It, yeah, I agree. Are, are we all going to the Winter Olympics next time? With uh, go go to the bobsled track and everybody's got a Jamaica shirt on because I'm all about that theme. <laughs> we could do some cool runnings. I'm there all about that theme. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so last big question. Ready? Sure. Let's just say America and the rest of the world open it up. No more COVID. The red tape is cut. We're back to normal. What's the number one thing you're looking forward to doing most? The number one thing, and this would come as not a lot of surprise to anybody who knows me, um, is to go to Disney World again. There you go. I, there you go. I mean... I, we live we live less than an hour from Walt Disney World, um, where I'm at, and in a normal world, you know, back before March, uh, me and or my wife, we would be at Disney World on average at least once a week. Mm. Um, we we tend to take vacations there for our birthdays, for our anniversaries, you know, any reason that we can come up with. We are at Disney World and having not been able to go to the parks now for three months has been very sad for, for lack of a better term. <laughs> um, and so when that reopens, we will be one of the first people in line uh, to get back into the Magic Kingdom or, or Hollywood Studios or whatever, whatever park we can get to. Yeah, I got to say awesome. it was it was kind of crazy back in March when this really first started and got big hearing that Disney world was going to shut down. Like Disney world doesn't shut down. They're open seven days a week. Yeah. Holidays. I mean, you name it, they're open. There's people there. The parks are packed and it's just crazy thinking like for three months, people have not been in those parks at all. So yeah, I think it would be fun to go back. Obviously I don't have the ability to go once a week being a little bit farther (laughs) away in North Carolina. But I do look forward to going back at some point once they reopen, even if, you know, there's no fireworks or you have to wear a yeah. mask or stand in lines or parade. It would still be nice just to be back there again. Like yep. he's just slacking. He could make it down there every weekend <laughs> if he chose. Slacking. Yeah, I mean, what what is it? Like uh, 12, and probably about 12-ish, 10 hours? About probably 10 hours. Could, it's doable. 10, 10 hours. I it's, mean... Each way. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I hear you each way, but I mean, they have hotels, You're right. you know, you come down, you, you leave Friday after work, you come down, you spend the weekend, you drive back Sunday and you go back to work Monday. What, why not? <laughs> uh, maybe we'll have to do a long weekend trip. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. You got any dorm uh, space open? We'll, we'll all come down and stay in a dorm room. Everybody bring their hey. own sheets. <laughs> Well, I mean, the I, the good news is, yes, right now we do have dorm availability. <laughs> um, the 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 downside is no one's going to let you in there. <laughs> it is, I mean, I I have not been 
back on campus since March 14th, I think 13th. Wow. It's been, it's been just over three months now. Um, I could go back, but I mean, my job, thankfully uh, I'm able to do pretty much everything that I would do at the office I can do from home. And so there's no point in needlessly going there um, and just adding to the health risk. So, because, you know, as it is right now, if you want to go to work, you have to pass a wellness check every day and they've got all the rules that everybody else has. You got to wear the masks, you got to mm-hmm. keep your distance and, and all of that stuff. So it's not, no. not a great time to be on campus right now. No, yeah, I'm at a university in North Carolina and I've actually been locked out of my building. So no one's even allowed to be on campus. Oh, wow. The gates are closed. So thankfully I'm able to work from home, which is nice. But yeah, our badge access has been revoked until an undetermined time. Wow. So yeah, life is definitely different. Uh, yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast tonight. It's been fun talking about college athletics and kind of what your job entails and looking at a little behind the scenes peek at college sports. It's been a pleasure to join you gentlemen. So this is David for John and Matt. We're going to sign off on season two, episode 42. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. How many times while you have been manscaping, have you nicked or nearly trimmed off your wiener schnitzel in the twins? Hey, I'm Christy, and with 30 years experience teaching men how to thin out their forest in their yonder region, I am so excited to tell you about this revolutionary Lawn Mower 3.0. The ceramic blades prevent the manscaping accidents that leave you unable to use your most favorite appendage. Oh, and gentlemen, it also keeps a 90-minute charge. For those of you that haven't trimmed in quite a while, you'll need every second of that 90 minutes. Let's be real, though. No one, especially your significant other, wants to have to weed through your overgrown forest to find their favorite play toy. So order now at manscaped.com and enter the promo code PODCAST20 and receive 20% off plus free shipping. Serious, bushy man. Order now. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to have your sports-related question or comment featured on the show, please email us at sportstalkgarage at gmail.com. Also, if you want to keep up to date with us outside of the show, please follow us on Twitter at sportsgaragepod. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a five-star review and subscribe if you want to hear more. So for Chris back in the studio, David and Matt, I'm John, and we are the Sports Talk Garage. Sports Talk Garage.